Welcome to the Kingdom Church Podcast. This week is a powerful message from Pastor Harrison Chaka, beginning our summer series. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the message. Uh, I have one verse today that I really only need to read, but because I've been gone for three weeks, I can't just read one verse. So 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 2. It says, To Timothy, my dear son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father in Christ Jesus, our Lord. I thank God, whom I serve, as my ancestors did. Come on, how many guys know you're not the first? Even if you feel like you're alone, you're, you're not the first. With a clear conscience, day and night, I constantly remember you in my prayers, recalling your tears. I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. Here's the verse I really want to hit on today. Paul says to Timothy, I am reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I'm persuaded now lives in you also. I want to call our message today a living legacy, a living legacy. Come on, can we clap our hands this morning? You guys can find your seat. Hey, as you find your seat this morning, why don't you say hello to one or two people and just say, you look great today. All right, so as I mentioned, uh, I haven't uh, spoke in in a number of weeks, and that is because um, my wife and I, mostly my wife, (laughs) gave birth to our fourth child. His name in full is Malachi Rao Chaka. And uh, I'm just believing that he's going to be a mighty man of God. Come on, somebody. Uh, And so, hey, we're just so thankful to be back. So thankful everyone's healthy. We're thankful for your prayers, your love, and your support. Uh, Christy and I could not do this without you. And I don't really believe that we are meant to do things alone uh, and that God gives us church families. And I really encourage you, uh, if you're a part of this church, Make sure it's church family, not, not something you're a part of, but a family. Um, and if you're looking for a church family, I just want to say this is a great place to start. Um, but uh, Malachi, our son, he's kind of from conception, uh, marched to the beat of his own drum. And I'll never forget, and we should have known this because it's going to be relevant to what I'm going to talk about in two seconds. But um, I'll never forget, in, in probably October or November, Christy and I, my wife, we were having a conversation um, about the potential or the possibilities of having a fourth child. Like, should we do it? Should we not do it? Is this the good time? Can we afford it? All of these things. Um, and in one of these conversations that happen with couples sometimes where you're discussing things like that, um, generally someone's feelings get hurt at some point. Just because, like, someone says the wrong thing. In this case, I said the wrong thing. Come on, somebody. But what's funny is that that whole conversation, uh, talking about the future, should we have a fourth kid, all of this stuff, um, really funny because Christy didn't know it, but she was currently pregnant at the time. And so it was all, like, God was in heaven saying, like, you idiots, just stop. Um, And so since the beginning... Malachi, my son, has kind of done what he's going to do regardless of our plans. We should have known that because uh, I planned out like three weeks 
where I would be gone, not gone, at least not preaching, because I was like, I think he's going to be like the rest of my kids, and the rest of my kids came early. Malachi didn't come early because he does what he wants. In fact, he came um, not last Saturday night, but the Saturday night before. And so thankfully, Ryan was here uh, to preach. Pastor Ryan, you guys enjoyed Pastor Ryan? Um, Man, it feels good to know that we have oversight uh, and we're in good hands uh, with Pastor Ryan. I was texting him last night. Uh, But needless to say, when Malachi was born, um, I really only had one week now with him where I wasn't preaching. And I was like, shoot, I had planned three Instead, I get one. And I was really going to, like, not preach because, uh, like, I'm tired. Come off, somebody. And trying to, like, support the rest of my kids and my wife. And, like, I, I didn't really want to preach. But then um, something happened, like, not last week, the week before, but the Lord just dropped a word uh, in my heart. And I took out my phone, and I just started writing down all the stuff I felt like God was depositing in my spirit. And then I was like, okay, I guess that I'll preach. Now, the reason I'm saying this all to today is to say that I'm excited to preach. But number two, I just wanted to let you guys know that God has this way sometimes. Because um, as I said, I'm not sleeping good at this point. I got a new kid, all of these things. I haven't opened my Bible in a couple of days. I haven't prayed in a couple of days. Um, and God in his grace decides to speak to me. And I think there are moments in time where God just has to remind you that it's not about you. That sometimes, even in your lowest moments, when you don't feel like you have anything to offer, God comes in and says, I'm not too worried about you. I'm going to show you something about me. And so sometimes, listen to this, God just wants us to know who controls the flow. And it's not me. It's him. And so I want someone to understand, if you're in a low season right now, you don't control the flow. And that's good news. God does. Because ultimately, he is the one that determines what you get and when you get it. Anyways, I got a word today. Can I preach? Y'all going to love me after today? We'll find out. So what I want to do is I want to preach all about legacy. And maybe this legacy word is on my heart because I had a brand new kid. And when you're looking at your new kid, you begin to think of the future and legacy. But today what I want to do is I want to talk all about legacy. We're beginning a brand new series called Summer Loving. Bunch of people ask me, what does summer loving mean? I said, I have no idea. But it's summertime, and I love the summer. (laughs) And so we're just going to follow the Holy Spirit every week and see where it goes and give a very generic title, Summer Loving, with Nike. Come on, somebody. Um, (laughs) But today, where God is leading us is legacy. Very specifically, here's what I want to talk about. How do we leave behind a legacy? More than that, how do we leave behind a good legacy? Because whether you know this or not, every single person leaves behind something. Whether you are intentionally trying to or not, you are going to leave behind something. What I want to do today is I want to give us some steps, very simple message today for how we can live and leave, I should say, uh, behind a good legacy. Now, some of you may think to yourself, like, is this relevant for me? Like, I'm only, like, 19. I'm just trying to figure out my classes for the fall. Like, is this really going to be relevant to me? I don't have kids. I'm not married. I'm single. Whatever it may be. Like, why is legacy important to me? Two things. Number one, regardless of your status, life, 
relationship or otherwise, you're leaving behind something. All of us are leaving behind something. But number two, what we don't realize is that at every stage of our life, we leave behind a legacy, good or bad. Let me tell you how I know this. I've had to pick four names for children. And one of the hardest things that happens when you pick names is there's a name that you like, but it's connected to someone that you knew when you were 14. And you're like, oh, it can't be Dylan. I hated Dylan. <laughs> I, I'm trying to think of names that aren't in this church, just made up names that, <laughs> like Sarah was coming to my head, but I don't see her, so maybe I can say it. But, um, but, but, but here's the point. You may not know these people, but they've left some type of a legacy in your life where their name elicits something. You want to know what that tells me? It means at every stage and every season of our life, we leave behind something. So the question is, what am I leaving behind? And here is the absolute key to leaving behind a good legacy. Realize this, it starts today. I'm building, I'm leaving behind something right now. So what I want to do today is I want to talk all about a good legacy and how to leave it behind and we're going to take this all from 2 Timothy chapter 5, verse 1, or verse 2 Timothy 1, verse 5. Now, I'm going to be in a few places in Scripture, but this is kind of where, like, this message is coming out of. And I'll give us a little context for Timothy. Um, one of my favorite books in the Bible, First and 2 Timothy, how many guys are in my garage studying the book of Timothy ever? A few people. Um, one of my favorite books. And... This book, 2 Timothy, was written by a man named Paul, and Paul specifically wrote this book towards the end of his life. And so at the end of his life, Paul is now thinking even more so about legacy. And as he starts his book, what's interesting is he wants to remind Timothy, who this book is given to, about where he comes from. This is important. Paul, thinking about his legacy, wants to remind Timothy where he comes from. He says, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and then your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. So this is really important when it comes to faith, and I'm gonna show us in a second that I hope faith and legacy are interconnected when it comes to what we wanna pass down. But Paul is telling Timothy that his faith came from somewhere. I want you to understand this. Faith is always passed from somewhere. Faith is never ex nihilo, meaning out of nothing. It is passed from somewhere. Now, you want to know God's ideal plan. Ideal means prime. It doesn't always happen this way, but this is God's ideal plan. Faith is passed down in the family. That's God's ultimate desire, is that faith would be passed down from generation to generation. But at the very end of the day, understand this. We don't live in ideal, we live in reality. And so I know for a lot of us, your faith begins with you. It was not passed down necessarily from your family, but it was passed down from someone. And so what this means as a whole, is that faith is always meant to be shared. Whether you have a family, kids, or not, is irrelevant. Faith 
is always meant to be shared. And we pass it to someone, or at least we're supposed to. And I would almost say it like this. I really want you to take notes today because I feel like I have so much stuff that I want you to remember. Um, a faith that is not shared, lean in a little bit, lean in. Are you guys leaning? Yeah. A faith that is not shared is usually a sign of a faith that is not alive. So I might think I have great faith because I come to church every single week, but a faith that is not shared is usually a faith that is not alive. And so what I want to do today is I want to lift and I want to get, I want to resurrect some faith in some people, but I also want us to start to realize and start to begin to think, what am I leaving behind? Your faith, come on, think about your faith. It came from somewhere. And this is cool. Our faith is connected to someone else's legacy. So now let's keep thinking, what if my faith can be connected to someone else's legacy? It's funny, P Pastor Ryan was here um, a couple of weeks back. Our other elder, Pastor Brett, you guys know Pastor Brett? Um, he was preaching uh, a, a number of years ago at our church. I was sitting in the front row like I often do because the Holy Spirit's thicker in the front row. Um, and uh, he was preaching and I'm here to tell you, I have no idea what he said, but the Holy Spirit was speaking to me. And how many guys know the best sermons are the ones where you hear the Holy Spirit louder than you hear the preacher? Um, and I remember the Holy Spirit said very distinctly to me, he said, Harrison, he said, would you be okay if you never saw the best days of your church? And what he meant by that was like, what if the things that we were building today were not just for today, but for generations to come? And would I be okay if I never saw the best days? And really what God was trying to do was get my attention and say, Harrison, you're thinking wrong. And what I want to do today is I want to get some of our attention because I think many of us are thinking wrong. We're not thinking about tomorrow. We're only thinking about today. So, how can I begin to live a life of legacy? I want to give us three simple points that can help us live a life of legacy. You guys ready? And unless you got photographic memory, take out your notepad, iPad, iPhone, Android. We'll pray for you and write these down. Number one, how to live a life of legacy? Understand the nature of God. I could say understand the character of God. Now, God is not one-dimensional. He's multi-dimensional. And so I'm not going to hit on every single characteristic of God today, but I want to hit on one in specific that is really important when it comes to understanding legacy. So where I want to go is the book of Exodus. Before we read it, I'll give us a little context. There's a man named Moses. And Moses pulls up at this burning bush, and God begins to speak to him through the bush. You're like, that's in the Bible? Yeah, read it. Um, and so God says to Moses, he says, I want you to go and I want you to deliver my people. And Moses asks a good question. He says to God, he says, well, suppose the people ask, what is the name of the one who sent me? In other words, what is your name, God? What shall I say to them? If they ask, who are you? What shall I say? And names are extremely important in the Bible and even more so in the Old Testament because names are always connected to nature. 
And so God says to Moses, Exodus 3, verse 14, he says, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. Now, there's a whole bunch in there. We don't got time for I am today, one day. But verse 15, God also said, I'm not done there. I'm not just done with I am. He said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, the name you shall call me from generation to generation. So who is God? He's the God of Abraham, Abraham's son Isaac, and Isaac's son Jacob. God is trying to teach a really important lesson to Moses. What he wants the people to know is that God is a generational God. Meaning God is not just worried about this generation. God is always thinking about the next generation. I love the book of Isaiah. God says uh, through the prophet Isaiah, he says, hey, listen, all y'all, me, you guys, he says, my ways, this is God speaking. He says, my ways are not like your ways. My thoughts are not like your thoughts. My, my thoughts are higher, my ways are higher, declares the Lord God Almighty. And one of the ways that I believe that God is different than us is that we have a tendency to think temporarily where God always thinks generationally. So listen, why do we leave behind bad legacies? It's because we don't realize that God thinks generationally. And instead, we only think temporarily. I want to do an exercise today. This might be painful for some people here. But I want you to think about some of the worst decisions that you've ever made. Can you all go there for a second? <laughs> you know the one? You're like last night, Pastor. Um, I can pretty much guarantee this. The worst decisions that we make are almost always connected to temporary thinking. Meaning, what's going to happen to me right here, right now? I just, and, and we got a few seniors in, in the place today with actual grandkids. Come on, somebody. Um, but for every person in this place, even grandparents, I want you to think about the bad decisions that you make. Do you often think to yourself, I wonder how this will affect my grandkids? 20-year-olds, do you ever think to yourself, I wonder how what I'm doing today will affect my grandkids? 35-year-olds, can we just be honest? Most of us don't think that way because we don't think generationally. We think temporarily. And I can tell you, you want to screw up your life real quickly, stop thinking generationally and only think temporarily. I love, and I'll give us some um, definitions. Uh, do I have the slide about generational thinking and temporary thinking? Is it on there? It's on there? Okay, cool. So generational thinking is this. How will my decisions affect the generations that come after me? Right? How am I, how am, what am I doing, how am what I'm doing today, that sounds weird, will affect the generation to come? And not just the next generation, but the next generation. That's called generational thinking. Temporary thinking, pretty simple, is my decisions 
Will, how will my decisions affect me? And the truth is, most of us live in the temporary. Now, here's the cool thing, because I want us to help understand the Bible a little bit better. How many of you guys have ever struggled with something that God commands or instructs us to do in, in Scripture? Anyone ever been there? Where it's like, I don't know if I can follow this. I don't know if I should follow this. Here's the cool part. Anytime you're struggling to come into agreement with something in the word of God, understand one thing. God isn't just thinking about you. A lot of times when we struggle to understand things, it's because we only think about ourselves. But what if God's advice, come on, come on, come on. What if God's advice was so good that it wasn't just about you? That he was giving us principles and precepts to help the generations to come. Not just today, but tomorrow and the next day. Not just a hundred years from now, but a thousand years from now. That's kind of cool. Now, what's also kind of cool is that our bodies are designed to protect ourselves. And there's a lot of good that comes from that, but also a lot of bad that comes from that. And one of the things I know is that none of us... <laughs> have the ability to continually and constantly make stupid decisions. Yet we do. And so what happens is our bodies do these things, I call it like protection mode, where we sort of shut off everything else, all of those voices saying, don't do that, everything my grandmother taught me, don't listen to that. Our bodies shut them down. You guys ever been there? And all we can see is what's right in front of us. I was listening to a podcast um, as a pastor, Erwin McManus, that I love, and he said this. He said, the aftershock of temporary pleasure is always guilt and shame. Like an earthquake, right? So we do something in the moment, feels really good. The aftershock, and y'all, anyone ever been in the aftershock before, you know what it's like? It's guilt and shame. It's guilt and shame. You want to know what it felt like in the moment? Pretty good. That's why we did it, because it felt good in the moment. But the aftershock is guilt and shame. This is the feeling, you guys know the feeling, when it's like I was going to only have a bite, but I had the whole Ben and Jerry's. Come on, somebody. It's like what you feel right after. This is the feeling, listen to this, after you watch porn. It's not in the moment, it's after. I begin to feel the after. Shock. It's what I feel, listen to this, when I buy the thing that I couldn't afford. It's when the credit card bill comes in. Then it's like, whew. It's the aftershock. We do the things that we do because we only think of the moment. I want to shift our thinking. I want us to understand the nature of God. God is a generational God. You know what that means? God wants us to be generational people. Look what Proverbs says. Proverbs 13, 22, it says, a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. I, I could say it like this, a godly person leaves an inheritance to his children's children. And I want you to understand, a godly person leaves more than just money. I can tell you this. <laughs> Your kids will respect the money that you give them. I would say, let me say it like this. Your kids will love <laughs> the money that you leave behind. But what they'll love even more 
will be a legacy. Something they can't necessarily touch, but lives deep within them. And so I say that to say, leave behind money for your kids if you can. If you can't, I'm here to tell you they don't care. Because there's something better you can leave them. Some of you guys in college, like, I could take some money. So number one, understand the nature of God. How do I begin to leave a, live a legacy? Understand the nature of God. We need to be generational thinkers. Not just the moment, but generations to come. So number two is this, understand the attack. I got to understand the nature of God. I must also understand the attack. So you're taking notes, not on the screen, because I want you to lean in. Write this down. Everything God designs, the devil tries to destroy. Did you guys hear that? Everything God designs, the devil tries to destroy. So whether you knew this or not, the family is God's design. He made it. Children, generations, it's all God's idea. He loves families. He loves children. He loves the next generation. Satan, the devil, hates families, hates children, hates the next generation. Because everything God designs, Satan tries to destroy. If you read the Bible, there are two major times this happens. In the Old Testament, with Pharaoh, he literally tries to kill a generation of young boys. Why? Because the enemy hates the next generation. In the New Testament, there's a king. His name is Herod. Herod, same thing, tries to kill an entire generation. Today, what is the devil trying to do? He's trying to kill an entire generation always. He ain't that creative. It's the same strategy over and over again. Whatever God designs, the devil tries to destroy. You want to know what's funny? Um, I just told you guys we, we welcome baby number four. Um, and some of you guys with big families, you can tell me if this <laughs> resonates with you. But what's really funny is that, like, when you have one or two kids, um, everyone starts to congratulate you. <laughs> when you have three or four kids, everyone starts to question you. <laughs> it's funny, it's funny, it's funny, but there's something deeper to it. Because there's, there's this cultural thing that is telling us that more is less desirable. And all of it truly, in many ways, connects back to selfishness. Well, you can't go on the great vacations you once did with four kids. You're not going to be able to get everything they want with four kids. And there's just this weird trend where one or two, they congratulate, three or four, they start to question. But I made a resolve that I will never call a curse what God calls a blessing. Look at Psalm 127. It says, children are a heritage from the Lord offspring are a reward from him like arrows in the hands of a warrior are children born in one's youth blessed is the man whose quiver i don't know what a quiver is but my quiver is full of them they will not be put to shame when they contend with their opponents in court so I don't really care what Susie says about kids. I want to know what the word of God says about kids. And if God calls them a blessing, I'm not going to call them something different. I need someone to clap their hands today because I'm... Because the devil hates the next generation. 
So listen to this. What's the best way to destroy the next generation is pretty simple. Start with the current one. Start with the current one. And we have this cultural creed that aligns us and pushes us to only think in the moment. Live your best life. Do what feels right today. Live your truth. It's all connected to temporary thinking. And I want you to understand, I'm, you know, I want you to clap for kids. I love kids. I'm not saying you have to have a big family. Don't misunderstand me. But what I am saying is that you need to start thinking about the next generation, whether you have kids or not. What's coming next? And know that God loves the next generation and the enemy hates the next generation. Now, I don't want to spend too long on the attack because I think that we serve the God of the breakthrough. Meaning I would much rather give us tools to fight rather than stuff to scare us. Like, do you know what your kids are consuming? Who cares? Let's start to fight and let's build up a generation of warriors so we're ready to pass something down. But I need to know, I need to know that there is a fight. And if you don't feel like you're fighting, I can tell you you're already losing. Write it like this. There's two ways you can write it. Number one is this. Legacy is never a passive process. Good legacy. Write that in. Good legacy is never a passive process. And passivity always produces poor legacies. And so if your strategy for raising up your kids, raising up the next generation, inspiring your friends, whatever it may be, if your strategy is I'm going to be passive, I'm going to sit back and do nothing, it's not going to happen. Passivity always produces poor legacies. Now, some of you are saying, like, Harrison, talked a lot about legacy, but what specifically do I want to leave behind? So glad you asked. Matthew chapter 6. This is a verse that we don't often take as a legacy verse, but I want to switch our thinking a little bit today. Jesus says, this is Jesus. He says, do not store up for yourself treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourself treasures in heaven where moth and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. So what's the legacy I'm trying to leave behind? It's pretty simple. It has nothing to do with all of the stuff here. Is stuff here bad? No. Are houses bad? No. You probably want one of those. But if all we're leaving behind are material things, I can tell you we're not living or leaving the legacy that we could leave behind. And so what if we resolve to say, I want to leave behind a faith legacy. I want the people to come after me. They may not know everything about me, but I want them to know some things about me. And I want them to know that I love the Lord Jesus with all my heart, with all my soul, and I served him faithfully all the days of my life. I wasn't perfect, but I was faithful. What if that was the legacy that we began to leave behind? So how do we get there? Look at this. 2 Timothy 1, 5. This is where Saul came from. We're back here. Paul says, I'm reminded of your faith, Timothy, that first lived in your grandmother Lois, and then your mother Eunice. And I'm persuaded now lives in you. There's one word that's super important when it comes to this faith. Paul says the faith that was passed down was the faith that lived in your grandmother. 
This is important. The, the Greek word here is literally to dwell. It's a faith that made their home inside of their hearts. So what this means is this. If you want to give and, and diffuse and pass faith down to the next generation, that faith has to be alive. It's as simple as that. That faith has to be alive. Passive faith is never passed down. It just won't be. It's not passed down by osmosis. Dead faith dies with you. Dead faith dies with you. But Lord, have mercy what a live faith can do. Now you need to understand something. When we pass down faith from generation to generation, the next generation must always grab it and make it their own. That's important. Our job is to just make sure we're doing everything in their power, in our power, to make sure they're getting something that is good. And so ultimately what this means is simply this, faith has to be fought for. This is my final point. How do we live a life of legacy? Faith has to be fought for. I must remember that faith must be fought for. Nothing happens unintentionally. You want to be a great leader. You want to be a great spouse. You want to be a great father, a great mother, a great brother, a great sister, a great whatever it is. Nothing happens passively. It has to be fought for. You want to be a man of God. You want to be a woman of God. Fight. It's not going to happen by accident. Now, I want to read you a verse that, this is Jesus. Most people don't know this because this kind of version of Jesus sort of like contradicts the, like the hippie weed smoking version of Jesus they prefer. But this is what Jesus says. He says, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence and the violent take it by force. Now it's like, what is this verse saying? Because it almost sounds like Jesus is saying like there's attacks against the kingdom. Is that what he's, that's not what he's saying. What Jesus is saying literally is this, violent men, warriors are the ones that take the kingdom. And the only way we take the kingdom is not passively. We don't enter in passively. We take it by force. You're like, Jesus said that? Yep, go read it tonight, Matthew eleven twelve. 12. There is something competing for your attention. There's a battle that is being waged that wants to keep you from grasping a life of legacy. I realized something. I don't know, I think it was like, I think it's from China, but maybe not. But I realized that like TikTok is the perfect app. Like they may not create an app better than TikTok. And what I mean by that is that it hits like every single box when it comes to what us as temporary people are looking for. Immediate gratification. No process, only results. It's funny, my sister, I don't even have TikTok, but in our family group chat, she sent me a three-minute TikTok one time. Like the audacity of this woman to think I'm going to watch a three-minute video. Because you all know, we like the 15-second videos where I have a raw cow and 20 seconds later I have a gourmet meal. That's the ones I like. Right? Like, there you have it. 
Anyone get that? A couple people. I see you, Shiloh. Um, don't look him up, but he's a guy on stuff. So what this means is this. I know that there's this app that exists in every other app, Instagram, YouTube. They're all copying this app. And there is something that is competing for my attention. There is something that it seems so small, it seems so meaningless, but is literally neutering a generation of people that don't have the capacity now to have an attention more than a couple of minutes. It's like I can't read the Bible because I've never trained my mind to focus on something that isn't longer than 20 seconds. And so what that means is if I want to begin to develop a legacy of faith that starts today, I'm going to have to fight. It's not going to happen passively. Because passivity, all it does is gets your thumb moving up and down, up and down. And you all have been there. Suddenly it's been four hours. You're leaving behind something. I want to speak to parents for a moment. And if you're a part of our church, you're probably going to hear me talk about parenting for the next like 18 years because I'm right in the midst of it. You want like a senior, like a real senior pastor? Not here. So I can only share what I'm going through right now. Parents, you have a high calling on your life. I mean, let me say it like this. You have the highest calling on your life to realize that what you do each and every day is affecting the next generation. And I can promise you this, if you are living in passivity, you are passing down passive faith. And so I want to encourage parents to realize you are the pastor of your home. I'm the pastor of this church. I'm not the pastor of your home. I have my own home to pastor. I wanna give you tools, tips, all of these things, but you are the leaders in your home. So lead. It's as simple as that. And I know there are a million different things fighting for your attention. I'm in this weird tension right now where like, I know that God's called me to lead this church. But I know more than that, God's called me to lead my family. Because if I lose my family, but the church is built and I lose. And so there's, there's something competing for my attention. And so not all things that compete for your attention are bad. But you need to realize, what is priority number one? So listen to me as I say this. Parents, specifically with young kids, get your kids to church. It's a lot harder when they're like 19, 20. But young, get them to church. And understand. You're like, Harrison, it's a fight. It's supposed to be. It's hard. It's supposed to be. Because you know what we value the most? The things that we fight for. The things that are hard. And so I want to speak to someone that feels like they're giving up because they've experienced hard. It doesn't have to be with parenting. It could be something else. But if there's something in your faith right now that feels hard, maybe it's because God is actually building something that is valuable. And I just, I just know this. because I, I got little kids. It's hard. It's not easy. But I want you to understand my kids are going to see that this is important. I have no clue if my kids are going to remember the day that their fourth sibling was born. They probably won't. But I'm going to remember that my other kids went to church. Was it hard? Maybe on my mom, because she brought them here. But I want them to know what's important. 
listen, you got teenagers, it's a whole different fight. All right, young adults, whole different fight. And it's not as easy as just stuffing them in the car seat when they're 17 years old. And if your kid is still in a car seat, you got <laughs> bigger issues. But you can still fight. And they can still know what's important to you. And they can still know that this house, come on somebody, in this house we serve the Lord. Like as for me in my house, as Joshua says, we serve the Lord. But we got to fight for it. But it's going to take a mind shift. It's going to take a mind shift that says, you know what? I know 9.30 to 9.40 was really hard this week. But I'm not just going to think about the temporary. I'm going to think about the long. Listen, this is for all of us here. We have hurt. We have pain. We have trauma. Listen, you are not your hurt. You are not your pain. You are not your trauma. And so we need to heal, not just for us, but for the next generation. Because they don't need to carry our stuff. Is healing hard? Yes. Is it painful? Yes. Is it easy? No. Do we owe it to the next generation? Absolutely. Because we serve a generational God. And so faith has to be fought for. You never, never underestimate whether it's a family devotion, whether it's coming to church, whether it's youth group on Wednesday nights, whatever it is, never underestimate the power of the Holy Spirit simply when we show up. And so I never want to rob the Holy Spirit of an opportunity to share something that they might have missed otherwise. It has to be fought for. So I'm going to wrap with this. Kim, could you come and play something beautiful for us? Some of us are thinking to ourselves, well, Harrison, what if I've just fallen so short? What if my life is a mess? What if I've only been thinking temporary? What if, like, what if my family's destroyed? Like, what now? Here's the beautiful thing and why I want to finish on the gospel of Jesus Christ. God's grace is bigger than our performance. I need you to hear this. I'm trying to encourage us, not discourage. Do not be discouraged. Be encouraged. I'm, I'm, I'm rallying the troops. But if you feel a little bit discouraged, understand this. God's grace is so much better than our performance. So much better than all of the things that we do. And as I said, I believe that God has shifted my thinking when it comes to this church. What we're gonna do in this church is we're gonna build it from the bottom to the top. And what I mean by that is from the next generation all the way up. I felt the Lord speak to me. I'm super excited. I got four kids, um, but in like October, I'm gonna have my first nephew come off somebody. Um, and I just, I just felt the Lord say to me a few weeks back, we're building this church for your nephew. And I said, okay. You guys know Mark and Andrea? from our church, they just had a baby, baby Theo, if you saw him. I felt, I felt the Lord say, we're building this church for Theo. It's for the next generation. We're not gonna fit in that nursery soon. Come on, somebody. Come on. And so we're building, and God's grace is better than our downfalls. 
His grace is better than our mistakes. And so no one here needs to think that you have to be perfect to leave behind a great legacy. You just got to be faithful. And you need to understand in every dysfunction, in every breaking, it's a moment where God begins restoring. I want to just share something. Some of you guys know this. Some of you guys don't. And I'm not going to share too much because my whole family goes to this church. Come on, somebody. Well, that's part of the story. Uh, my, my family, uh, when we were about 12, like split up, broke up. So we come from a broken family. And in my life, there was definitely a lot of brokenness for a number of years. Anger, hurt, pain, sadness, whatever it was, you name it. And I was thinking this week, there was probably a moment in my life where the devil saw me, saw what I was doing, saw where my life was going. And he really thought he was winning. And he thought this was the end of the story. But then something happened. By the grace of God, he changed my life. When I was 18 years old, I was broken, I was messed up, I was angry, I was sad again. Whatever it was, you name it, I have it. And God changed my life. And one of the very first things that God did when he changed my life is he said, you're going to go home and you're going to go tell your siblings about me. And I said, okay. And I didn't see it at the time, but what God was doing is God was saying, I'm not going to let an entire generation be lost because I'm going to still work in the midst of this brokenness. And when I say my whole family comes to church, you need to understand that's a testimony to the grace of Jesus that we come here each and every week and we serve the Lord Jesus Christ. And I need to, I need to proclaim it because there was a time in my family's history where the devil thought that he was winning and he was laughing, but we're here today and all of us are praising. Why? Because the grace of God is so good. You don't gotta be perfect. You don't have to come from a, oh, the best, the most put together. God's grace is greater, and he's a generational God. And I just love, and I, I, don't, I don't know what's going to happen with my kids, but I'm fully convinced with every breath in my body, I'm going to give them everything I have to make sure that I pass down a faith legacy to them. If you all get faith in the meantime, amazing, but I just want my kids to follow Jesus. And so... My boys in specific, because I, <laughs> I wasn't quite there when the twins were born. But I wanted to give them names that meant something. that could carry on this faith legacy. And every single time I say my kid's name, I want the devil to hear his name. And realize he thought he had us down and out a couple years back. But we're, we're building generations here. And so my son's name is Judah. And Judah means praise. And can I tell you a really funny story? There's this song, we're singing it next week, it's called Praise. And my son Judah, whose name means praise, is obsessed with this song called Praise. You come to my house at 5 a.m., he comes into my room, you know what he says? Praise. <laughs> praise. We play that song a lot. I told Sid and Amy, if I'm not excited next week, it's not your fault. But I love that my son named Praise, one of the first words that he says clearly is praise. And every single time he says it, I hope it's a dart to the enemy's heart that thought he was going to take out this generation. My son Malachi, I don't got time for his story, but his name means messenger of God. And I had the opportunity when he was born. I didn't do this with my other kids because I'm just getting better as I go along. 
But when he came out, as soon as he came out, I put my hand on his head and I blessed him. And I said, may your life always be a message for God. That's what Malachi means, messenger of God. Because I can't be thinking temporarily. I have to start thinking generationally because we serve a generational God. And so I want you to understand something. I'm finishing a promise. Is that if you think your story's down and out, if you think you're leaving behind a wrong or bad or terrible legacy, guess what? Whenever the devil thought he was winning, he didn't know what was coming next. Friday, Easter weekend, darkest day in history. He couldn't imagine what was happening Sunday morning. And so I want to just speak prophetically over someone's life. Maybe you feel like you're in the silence of Saturday. Sunday's coming. Sunday's coming. Can we stand for a second, church? I want to make a declaration, and I would love if there was someone that said, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come on that journey with you. And so here's my hope and here's my heart for our church. I want us to be a generational church. The Lord is already doing this cool thing where we have different generations in this church. But let's start thinking about the next. And so if you're in this place right now, every head bowed, every eye closed, if you're saying to yourself, I want to start fighting I'm not sitting on the sidelines anymore. I'm not just going to think about me, but I'm going to think about what's next. My kids and my kids' kids and my kids' kids' kids. If that's you today, you want to enter into the fight, can you just put your hand up? I would love to just pray. And I would love to just declare publicly that there's an army coming. So Father, you see every heart. You see every hand. You are a generational God. Father, my prayer is that we could become a generational people. That we could not just think about today, but begin to think about tomorrow. God, I pray that through this generation, whatever that generation is that I'm speaking to, God, may we be the forerunners to say, I'm going to think about what comes after me. I'm going to think about what is left behind. God, I pray for families. Lord, you know they are under attack from the beginning to the end. And so, God, I pray for restoration in families. I pray, pray for redemption in families. I pray for prodigals to come home. I pray for hard-hearted people to be softened. God, I pray that the rain would come and soften the soil of the next generation. Lord, you know every heart in here. You know the hurting of the people that so desperately want those they love to come to you. So, God, I pray for them a special prayer. Thank you, Jesus for what you're doing. I thank you for this church. You're a good God. We love you, Jesus. We pray in your mighty and holy name. Amen. Amen. Come on, can we put our hands together? Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this week's message, that you found some encouragement, that it spoke to you. And if you want to get more connected with our church, head over to kingofchurch.ca. See you next week.